Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. If you've been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast recently, you probably noticed that we were at the National Association of Women in Construction annual conference in North Carolina last week. While we were at the conference, we got to meet so many inspiring and interesting women working on projects in construction and other male-populated fields as well. I got a chance to chat with today's guest at the conference, and I was also able to snag her today on her day off for a chat on the Hazard Girls podcast. Rebecca Francis is a DEI specialist, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist with IEA, Infrastructure and Energy Alternatives, Inc., in the greater Chicago area. IEA is also a NAWIC partner, so I met Rebecca in the construction zone where all the partners were set up with their booths. And I thought her story was so interesting that I just had to share her with you today. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Rebecca, let's just start out by talking about your current job. What is your role at IEA? So I currently serve as the DEI specialist, diversity and inclusion specialist, where my roles pretty much overlap in a lot of different areas. I do a lot of EEO and sexual harassment training um, across the seven sister companies. I also do that culture and climate aspect that a lot of companies are really looking to build and grow and develop right now. And as we know, as society, we're still growing the DNI space. And so I'm um, looking at what that looks like as we evolve it um, within the construction industry um, is our current role and our goal. So you mentioned you do EEO and sexual harassment. Do you mean you write policies? No. So what I do is, is I go to, I fly out or I do a WebEx. I'm just depending on the need of the area, but wind farms, solar farms, new hires within the corporate space. And we do trainings where we explain the EEO laws. We explain what the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is, how if someone has a complaint, whether it's for discrimination or for sexual harassment, um, how they can gain access to someone to speak to, or if they're having a situation and they don't know who to go to, we give them multiple different options and opportunities to share what they know to support the efforts of inclusion within the company. As we realize inclusion doesn't happen overnight, but it definitely doesn't happen when people are not trained and equipped mm -hmm. to act responsibly in situations such as discrimination or sexual harassment. And you're doing this at, you said, the seven sister companies to IEA? Yes. So I currently train pretty much every single week, all of the new hires, no matter where they go, they're dispersed, you know, into several different companies. But if there's also a company that needs specials, like maybe they're starting a new project and they need someone to come out and just do the training in person, as we know, in person always is better just because mm -hmm. you can make the direct connection and people aren't like falling asleep, you know, mm -hmm. or completely bored when they're listening to it on a screen. So we fly out or we drive to the location in which the wind farm or the solar farm is located and we do trainings and same with new hires. And are you allowed to say what the companies are, what sister companies they are? Yes. I mean, so we have William Charles Construction. I do a lot of William Charles because I actually work for William Charles Construction. We have White Construction. 
We have Bianchi, which I haven't been there yet, but we have Saya. We have Mountain West. We have West Coast. I think I covered them all, but they're in different areas, different states like Utah, Vegas, Indiana, Rockford, Alabama, et cetera, California. So So you're traveling a lot. Yeah. Depending on where they need me to go. Yeah. Now that you're, you've been in that role for how long at the company? I've actually been with this company just for one year. I I was in education for 10 years or Mm -hmm. eight, nine years. So it's definitely been a nice shift, but we know that equity, inclusion, all those things, especially within the urban population is always relevant. So, you know, essentially it's all the same thing, especially being a minority. It's kind of been my life the whole time. Now we're just having an opportunity to use the voice you know, it feels very familiar. We're just learning, you know, new ways to deal with like building capacity within individuals. And introducing these concepts to new audiences, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's mainly the gist, I think, of the construction industry as a whole, as we know, has been dominated predominantly by the white male. Mm-hmm. And so as I always remind people, that's not a bad thing. You know, we think about that and we're like, oh, you know, you know, we need to fix that. And I mean, obviously what we want to grow capacity within others. And we also want to diversify just because we realize that all people, no matter their race, their gender, their sexual identity, their sexual orientation, et cetera, they all have something to bring to the table. And so when we start mixing the levels of creativity, expertise, like all those different things, we find that we have a more sustainable model uh, or business model over time. And so I think that's really the goal and the angle of why um, many companies, not just the construction industry, are moving toward a DNI approach is we just realize if we want a sustainable model and a field where people feel inclusive or included within their work culture, it's really important that we represent all. And I'm just curious, how are companies receiving this? Are they on board as a whole? Are we at the point now where companies are like, okay, we know this is the way it has to be. We know this is helpful to our culture, to our bottom line, to morale, or are they still requiring convincing? You know, I honestly had a meeting the other day with another um, company that wants to be a possible client and they, well, actually are, they are a client now and they feel as if they are moving in a progressive way. Sometimes those within the C-suites or within the board, it's harder sometimes to get them to see the light of some perspectives. But overall, I think most companies, as we see just even across the country, if you look even on LinkedIn, there's DNI jobs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And most times it's because companies are realizing that there needs to be a shift. And if America, especially because I study public policy for a living, if America was built and sustained off of one culture or predominantly one culture, and everyone is starting to realize that you know those perspectives could change or vary according to who's now sitting at the table, a lot of people are starting to pick up that DNI and they're saying, let's run with this, let's talk about it. And so that client that I was talking to, they actually specified that, you know, they're in the very beginning stages of it, they don't really know where to go, but they know they have to go somewhere. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's really important. And I definitely love to kudo people just even for being able to self-identify or company identify in those moments, because that's where it begins. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that we really, or I at least try to drill in everyone is that it's no one's fault. Like, yes, we realize there's inequity, discrimination, et cetera. We we know all those things. But when we think about when people build businesses, they don't think of the fact that they're trying to, you know, exclude someone in particular, but more so sustain their own futures. And so if that is one, you know, specific culture, if that's predominantly white, et cetera, although we know that there are some 
inequities within, you know, public policy, et cetera. That's why we discuss these things within these trainings and we help companies or help organizations understand the importance of moving forward, but not blaming yourself, but kudos in yourself for moving forward. And what do you do if you encounter someone who is resistant, a company that, you know, doesn't even think that there is an issue or doesn't address that there are problems or acknowledge that there are problems? I think that everyone needs to get there on their own time. So I I think I was talking to you about this before. Equity is the root. And so when we talk about inequities, that's always the root of every issue. And diversity and inclusion is the fruit. So you're not going to gain much more out of someone if they don't see the inequities. And so when we even talk about the difference between liberals and conservatives and modern liberals and radicals and et cetera, we already realize that everyone has their own perspective and point of view. And so that's why I use the word capacity a lot, building capacity, because Mm -hmm. once you build capacity with an individual, whether it's just saying it once or twice, or even just being a sweet soul in the room, that builds capacity with individuals. So the next time they make a comment or they choose not to be accepting to something that requires change, they'll think twice about it. And you would rather it come organically than forceful because Mm -hmm. then they'll grow resentful. And so I think that it's a very new thing for a lot of people. And especially if it's been ingrained in people that are 60, 50 years old and up and they've lived their entire lives one way, it's going to be very difficult for people to say, you're right, let me just change. Rather, you know, just be in a room to build capacity here, you know, the perspectives of others and understanding that no one, no two people think alike. And it's more so just about building that capacity and understanding that everyone has their own perspective and how we can all still respect each other with those perspectives. Once you get to that place, then you'll start noticing that inclusion and that diversity will start to evolve on its own. And how does a good DNI program help companies bottom line? What do you tell companies when you're trying to convince them of the uh, how this is needed or even individuals? How can you explain to them how it's helpful to their bottom line? Well, I think everyone will see this question differently because in some companies, whether they've operated with, especially within the construction industry, predominantly white all their lives, they've done well. Mm -hmm. So they don't see, well, what's the purpose? Why do I need to change that if I've done well? And I can completely understand that. However, people like Google, people like Microsoft, they do exceptionally well because they believe in the business model of diversity. And so what they do is they find the best talent within every culture and they step out of the comfort zones of the people that look just like them And they find that they grow in strides because the things that they could, maybe that barrier that they couldn't get past or even their own capacity where they no longer have, they can't, you know, shoot past the glass ceiling Mm -hmm. because there's something they're missing. It's that one person that's a minority or that woman that needs to be in leadership or, you know, that person I was just looking at another company just starts to celebrate autism and hiring autistic people. You know, you start looking at special needs and all these different things that people have to offer. And it usually develops and grows the company in a way that, you know, is more sustainable than everyone that is at the table looks the same, thinks the same and talks the same. And so when we talk about the bottom line and building a more sustainable business model for companies, diversity is honestly what drives the creativity and success of all companies. And it's a proven fact over time. I consider myself to be a great asset to, you know, anywhere that I go. I think that I've been gifted with a lot of special tasks that everyone doesn't possess or gifts that a lot of people don't possess. And I think that that just comes from the fact that someone has given me an opportunity as well to utilize those gifts and sprout in my own way. And so when you give people that type of autonomy or 
even that confidence booster, they'll do the best they can for the company or even for themselves. Right. And then they become an awesome asset for the company and, you know, longevity, developing the company, et cetera. So when we think about bottom line, we just think about the fact that everyone's going to see things differently and some skill sets are coming from people that don't look like the person in the room. Well, let's talk about your journey personally, because you were just talking about, you know, some of your own talents and how you know that you're bringing things to the table that other people wouldn't necessarily be able to bring. So let's talk about your journey. You're only 30. I believe you told me, right? Can you walk us a little bit through your career? Yeah, absolutely. So when I started, I actually came from Alabama A&M. I went to a HBCU, which I loved. And I wasn't able to graduate. I had my daughter literally the year I was supposed to graduate, but she was extremely sick and literally just had her last surgery, you know, sealing up all her trach holes and her feeding tubes and et cetera. So she has all that removed now, almost nine years later. So throughout that time of us going through, you know, from hospital to hospital and, you know, just procedure through procedure, I was able to, you know, attempt school, but I wasn't able to finish my last semester because it was so invasive what we were dealing with at home with home nursing. So when I finally got married, you know, I was able to complete my bachelor's degree in HR and business administration where and criminal justice. I actually got three because I planned to go to law school, you know, after that. But then I decided to go into public policy, which is what I finished now, because that allowed me the opportunity to identify the inequity in policies before I, you know, make it to my ending goal. I don't want to just be the person that sits the seat, but I want to be able to make the change, you know, while I'm in that seat. And so I went through public policy. And then from there, I went into applying for law school, which I do have all that ready to go. You know, it's just a matter of going next year. But, you know, those are like my, you know, long term goals as far as attorney and then sitting as the judge at the very end of my career. And so when I think about that now in my journey now, moving into DNI, it all ties back together, right? Because when we think about public policy, inequity, discrimination, how we can, and even looking at it from everyone's perspective, that's what really drives home a lot of my conversations in this space. And so outside of, you know, my education field, I also really, really enjoy business, which was, you know, my first degree just because I love the way it functions and operates. And I love the way the strategic thinking piece of it is like where you, you know, have to sit and think about how to build and develop a sustainable model. Um, All that is like, you know, just my thing. So I created my own companies. So you have all of these aspirations, but from the beginning, you always known you wanted to go to law school, but you got into the public policy path. And it's so, I love this because for me, I, when I step back and look at my career, I can see all the pieces and how they so perfectly fit together to bring me to where I am now. And I can see it's the same for you because you have law and then public policy and DEI. And then you ultimately, your goal is to be, you mentioned a judge. And that would bring everything from your career together to one place where you're able to practice that. So where did you get this idea that, you know, being a judge would be the perfect ending or the perfect ultimate career goal for you? And how can you make that happen? Well, I think just going back to like, I think four years old or three years old, my mom told me, she said, I ran into the room one day and said, I just want to be a judge at random. She said, you randomly ran into the room. I still to this day, I kind of remember maybe very vaguely, but you know, it's always stuck with me. And so one thing that I love and I do for my kids as well, when they, right when they say they want to be something, 
I align them with a professional in that field and specifically one that looks like them. Obviously, we want everybody, but it's really important for especially young Black children to see and self-identify within those fields that they can do it too. Because we know that even if we watch cartoons, they normally don't see people that look like them in these professions. And so my mom, what she did is she found a local judge. She was a lawyer at the time, Judge Glenn Gully. I love her so much. And she first allowed me to shadow her in high school and I think middle school as well. And then over time, she's just kind of stuck with me. She's always been there. And so I remember when I graduated with my bachelor's degree and she came to me and she pretty much wanted me to know that, you know, I could be next for her seat. But then I sat down with another judge within the city. She's now retired. And she said, why don't you create your own seat? And so what stuck with me there is that, you know, I have more than one person in my corner, you know, to support (laughs) the efforts of where I want to go in my future. But I'm really grateful just even being in the space that I am now within the DNI sector, because my supervisor is actually a attorney and she is awesome. (laughs) She's super smart. And I feel that it's never by mistake. I couldn't understand why they sent me to a construction company. Like, why was I there? You know, I just really couldn't understand it, you know, but then I went in and I'm like, wow, construction is more than just, you know, people on the field. There's laws behind it. There's contracts. There's all Mm -hmm. different kinds of things. And I was blessed to have a supervisor that can walk the way with me. And, you know, so that, you know, I serve, I look at her, I don't know if she really knows, but I look at her like a mentor in a lot of ways, you know, she serves in a lot of, a lot of different capacities in my heart. So I think that all of it aligns together when we think about the path. And so DNI is the beginning public policy allows me to create, which I love to do. I talked about, you know, sustainability models for me is awesome. And then using the analysis to develop and grow things and then going and sitting the seat at the very end is what I told my mom I wanted to do. And so Mm -hmm. now the path and the puzzle piece kind of just fits together on its own. And it's something that I didn't really have to try hard to do. So I think that that's when you know that you're like in perfect alignment. So interesting. And you started to talk a little bit about your love of business and Did you also study business or is that just something that you've always been interested in? No, I have a degree in business as well. So everything I love to do, I made sure that I was qualified to do it. I know that experience also brings a level of, you know, I guess, trust. But it's another thing when you have the experience, you have the businesses and you have the degrees to do it. And so I went to school for business first. And then I did some minors and I did some concentrations. And so that allowed me to learn about HR. And then that also learned, allowed me to, you know, dip my feet in criminal justice so that I could start preparing myself, you know, in that aspect as well. So I did all three of those at the same time. And business, my husband and I, we, when we first got married, he already owned his own radio station, Soar Radio. And Soar Radio is a BDS monitored radio station. It's the first black BDS monitored radio station to chart on the billboards. So that was an awesome achievement and accomplishment for him where he also won two stellar awards for that. Um, And so then moving into that, he wanted to create an award show. So what I did is I took my love for business and development and analysis, and I helped him grow something that now is, you know, in conversation with many different networks to syndicate. We already syndicate now, but to get on a major network, you have to do a lot more work. And so we're working really hard to get on a major network where we'll literally be in business for the rest of our lives doing television. And so that's his thing. I just help him support, you know, through that. But it's another just aspect of me when we talk about business. 
So yeah. then she thought about after developing and growing his that I would push mine a little bit more. And so I really love everyone. Everyone knows me as the girl that like wears wigs. And yes, I have long hair under my hair, but <laughs> I enjoy changing my hair and just, I guess, being girly and glamorous. And so because I've always had a love for extensions, what I did is, is I created a wig and hair company that has freshly imported hair. So I wanted to ensure that women had the opportunity to receive the best quality hair, maybe not the amount of money that celebrities pay for it, but essentially Mm -hmm. the same quality at an affordable price. And so then I thought about myself in college when I always wanted to wear extensions, but I had to get a ride to the store just to get the hair where now I just put all the hair in vending machines. And so- Wait, wait, um, wait, wait. In vending machines. Tell us more about this. Yeah. So I have my first vending machine at Cherryville Mall in Rockford, Illinois which does very well. Women, obviously, hair is an investment. They're hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but they're in a machine. And women, as they need them, if they need eyelashes, if they need edge control, edge control is definitely. So this is a DNI term for people. This is Black women that have, you know, maybe more coarse hair or even just need to lay their hair down in the front. We use edge control to do so. Um, it's like gel, essentially. But that's in the machine. Along with, we have hair extensions, very much like clip-ins. Or we have wigs and we do the headband wigs because they're the most, I guess, they're the quickest thing to wear for a professional. When they have to go to work in the morning, they just can throw it on and it looks very nice. And so I thought about myself and I thought about other women and how quick sometimes we just need to be cute and we don't have time to do like a long drawn out hair salon appointment or try to figure out how to put different hair extensions in. So I did the most, I guess, accessible for women in our machines. And I'm also doing that now in colleges. So preparing my next machine for NIU and SIU where girls won't have to leave the campus anymore to receive the best quality hair. They can just go downstairs and purchase it and go about their day. So that is like something that I pride myself on. I love that. It's my baby. They're pretty. They're very, very pretty and girly. And I just love that business. So it's fun to me. And a lot of people are eating it up. They love it, (laughs) you know, losing their minds because they've never seen anything like it. So What's the name of that company? B3 Lux Hair LLC. B3 Lux Hair LLC. And if people are listening today and they say, I absolutely need one of these machines on my campus, at my business, at my workplace, where can they get in touch with you to find that? Well, they can reach out to me at B3 Lux. So B, just the letter B, 3 Lux, L-U-X, Wig, W-I-G, Collection, at gmail.com. And I'll definitely, I'm literally pushing them out everywhere. One thing that I'm also priding myself on with the machines as we reassessed our business model, now that we have them moving and going, and I'm so big into the DNI space, I really wanted to ensure that there was something for everyone in the machine and not just Black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked on, I know in college, I thought about from the college campus perspective, Velcro ponytails and clip-ins are really big for women of other cultures. And so um, we're also putting those in there for all of our college campuses to ensure that everyone gets the opportunity to have, you know, luxury on hand. I think there may be men that don't even get this, but I think most women get this because it's not fair that, so for example, law school, like I know you're thinking of going to law school, that you have a certain amount of time to get your work done. You have a certain amount of time to study for exams. Is it fair that we (laughs) feel the need to spend X amount of hours on our hair when we could be studying or working or doing other things. That's exactly what I thought about as well. And like when I think about Velcro ponytails, it's literally just brush your hair into a ponytail and wrap the thing around it. And that's it. 
So, you know, when we think about that, every woman can do that. That's not exclusive to a black woman. That is exclusive to all women. And so having all various hair textures and things like that, especially as a DNI lady is what a lot of people call me that, you know, that still like all aligns to what I do. So true. Well, can you give advice to women and also to black women in particular who want to either start their own business or advance in these industries? Absolutely. So I just tell people, go for it. My husband always tells me to just jump. And so I even think about when I wanted to do the vending machine and I was like, I literally pulled my credit card back and put it back in my wallet. I was like, no, this just seems too much, too scary. And he said, pull the credit card back out and put the number in. And Mm -hmm. literally just that quick, I didn't have all the plans in place. And I'm like one of those people that like have to have every detail done before I start. And I don't know if you guys have heard of the lean method where where you just- Are you talking about the lean startup method? Yep, lean startup method. And so I have that book. And when I read that book, one thing that I loved about that is that sometimes you can just do it as you go to develop the intent. So obviously it's all done now, right? But when I first, you know, said I was going to do the vending machine, I put my credit card in. I was so fearful just of what the possibilities could be, if it was going to be successful, if people liked it, if they didn't like it, that I was going to talk myself out of it. And so I know that even in my own culture, sometimes if we feel that the odds are against us, sometimes we bag up, you know, Mm -hmm. just to feel safe. And I didn't know what to expect, but some days I just go to the mall and I people watch and every culture literally goes to that machine. They take photos <laughs> by it. They laugh like they love it. And so in that moment, what it showed me is that if I was to put that back into my wallet, I would have never got to experience what it feels like to actually finish something all the way through and feel successful by it. So I encourage every single person, if you have a goal and a dream, and I'm a pastor's wife too. So I always tell my ladies when I'm especially teaching that you never want to have something that's inside of you that was given to you as a gift. Or when I think of my vending machine or my businesses, I think of it as a baby, right? And so we only have nine months to push that baby out or what happens? We die. And so it's really scary to know that you would die with a million dollar idea or a million dollar gift inside of you and not birth it out. And so I always remind my ladies, I push them all the time to not sit on your goals. Don't sit on your dreams, put a comprehensive plan in place put a roadmap on the paper, just put goals on a paper. One, two, three, this is what I'm going to do today and crush those goals. The feeling is indescribable. You, you can't get that back. You know, no one can give or take that away from you because you chose to do that on your own. And so even as a black woman, I know that there's odds. I'm not naive to the fact that there are odds against me. However, I always suit myself up. So I'm always prepared, whether it's got, I have to have all my degrees. I have my certifications. I have my business license. I have everything in order so that no one can ever take anything from me. And so I encourage any person, what no matter what your race is, that if you have something with inside of you, birth it out because it's nothing worse than dying with a million dollar gift inside of you. That is amazing. Well, we know where our listeners can get in touch with you or with you for your vending machine business. Where can our listeners get in touch with you in general? I'm on LinkedIn as Rebecca Francis. I'm also on Facebook as Rebecca Francis. I'm also on Instagram as Rebecca Francis. And that's about it. I think three is enough for me. So you can reach me on any of those three platforms. You can also reach me at Rebecca.Francis at IEA.com or .net, I'm sorry. And that is where I am for work if you have any questions or want to reach out about anything within the construction industry as well. Well, Rebecca Francis, such a great time talking to you at the conference. And I'm so glad we were now able to sit down and do a real podcast interview without all that crazy background noise we had there. You have such an inspiring story. I'm glad your daughter's doing well. 
Your energy is super contagious. Your resilience is very impressive. So we thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.